So today we'll be doing reading through the end of Genesis. Here you have uh, the end of both Jacob and and um, and Joseph's life. Uh, just before we jump forward into the time of Exodus and Moses, which is quite a uh, long jump in terms of years. Um, and to pair with that, we are in the Book of Kings, I believe, uh, where uh, David is finishing up his time and looking forward to the time of his son's reign, Solomon. Uh, so that will be our study for today. Let's get started in prayer. Father, we come before you and we want to glorify your name. We know that uh, we aren't the final generation of people to follow you. We aren't the first generation to follow you either. Uh, you bring up those who are faithful time after time after time. And we also recognize that to be faithful is effort and takes effort and takes perseverance. Um, I pray that we would teach those who come after us and help them to grow into faithfulness uh, because it is too easy to focus on ourselves, what we're doing, our ministry, our work, and forget that those who are our children, our um, youth need to be brought up and shown the way that they should go. Um, so I pray that as we study, as we read your word, that we would know that we too need to focus on not just ourselves, not just you, but also the witnesses that will come after us as well. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So, Aaron, go ahead and start us off with the readings. Okay. So, we're going to beginning with uh, Genesis 47, beginning at verse 28, which is the uh, the beginning part of the parasha, uh, the Torah portion, and uh, that sets up uh, the, 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 the scene for the Haftarah, um, but the, I want to make a few comments on the tour portion because there's just so much there. So um, the the portion is called uh, Vayachi, and he lived, and um, uh, and which is very interesting because it, it starts with his death, and he lived, and then he dies. The interesting way of just talking or saying things very poetically in Hebrew that uh, while people do die, they are focused on how they live. Very important. So, the uh, the starting at verse twenty eight, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the length of Jacob's life was one hundred and forty seven years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, "Now, if I found favor in your sight." Please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers, so you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. 
Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Uh, so a few things there before we get into the, the next portion. So the text begins by letting us know that Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. Now, as uh, um, you're probably aware already, uh, numbers have meanings. There's, things don't occur just random in, in the text, not when you consider this divine language. So why does the text tell us or have, have to tell us that, uh, that, that Jacob lives in the land of Egypt 17 years? Well, in, as we've discussed before, Jewish tradition or Jewish exegesis, beginnings and endings often occur in the same fashion, in the same way, on the same day, and now here with the same time zones. Um, Jacob lives in Egypt for 17 years. He's, re, uh, he's been, had a reestablished relationship with Joseph, whom he thought he was dead. So now he gets to spend his last 17 years with Joseph in Egypt. In Genesis 37, we discovered that Joseph, that Joseph had spent 17 years with his father in Canaan before he got sold by his brothers. So the beginning and the end uh, are, are a 17-year period. And there's lots of mess in the middle, but um, uh, uh, Jacob gets to, to, to have the same amount of time that he had with his son uh, before and does it again now in Egypt. Uh, he lives for 147. This is, we can see the age of the patriarchs are uh, beginning to diminish. There's all kinds of reasons for, for that. We'll talk about that uh, later if people, people would like. And, uh, and when he is about to die, in verse 29, we have a name change. We go from Yaakov to Israel. So who's actually dying here? Right? It's Israel is dying. Um, Jacob lives, but Israel dies. And uh, Israel, uh, he, that's the name that, that he had been, he'd been given, he summons Joseph to him. None of the other brothers, you know, lots of brothers to choose from, but um, Joseph is the one that he's going to summon back. And uh, like he could have summoned Judah, or, or he could have summoned his firstborn, Reuben. He said, hey, Reuben. Make sure I don't uh, die and get up or be buried here in uh, with these Egyptians. Make sure I'm 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 taken out. Well, it's uh, jo jo Joseph whom he is going to uh, to make an oath with, and you get that interesting. Um, it's not brand new. It's been done before, particularly with Abraham and his servants when trying to find a, a wife for his son. This idea of placing your hand uh, somewhere near your loins. Now, what does that actually mean? You can read all kinds of commentaries about what it means. It, it literally means um, uh, your the parts of a man you probably shouldn't be speaking to about in public. Uh, now, why are they running around you know, touching these kinds of things? Well, when we make oaths these days, what do we do with our hands? We raise them. Right, raise your hand, swear on the Bible, or raise your right hand. We so we we do things with our hands as part of uh, uh, making an oath. Well, in antiquity they did the same thing, but they touched something that was actually very very poignant. 
What are they touching? They're touching um, the part of the body that is that um, brings forth the next generation. Okay, this is posterity. This is the future. This is your seed. This is your lineage. So when you're making a swear, you, when you're swearing, you're not swearing on a Bible because there's no such thing. Okay, you're not swearing on a sacred rock or any sort of idol. You're swearing on something actually very, very, very physical. And, and that actually goes on for generations. Because if you know, that doesn't work, okay, nobody's having any kids. And you might notice half of uh, uh, the, the people of Israel have trouble getting pregnant. So it's a really big deal. So it's not that, you know, um, Joseph comes along and does a big hand grab for something inappropriate. It's he, he, it's sort of like it's a, a gentle thing. He probably had a proper loincloth on and all that kind of stuff. But it was definitely very powerfully symbolic when you were making an oath. You're making an oath, not just with the person in front of you, you're making an oath with his descendants and his future. It's, a, it's quite a, um, a powerful thing. He doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. He would prefer his, his burial uh, to be in uh, with his with the patriarchs. Now, Joseph's going to say the same thing. Like, I don't want to be, I know I'm going to be buried here, but make sure you take me out. And, um, uh, and so when in verse 31, it says, Israel bows himself uh, on the head of the bed. Now, that's actually literally what it says, okay, um, which is a strange thing to say. Um, if he's lying down, if he's standing up, what, what's, the, what, what's going on? The Septuagint actually changes the word uh, bed to staff. Okay? They kind of need him to sort of rest leaning on his staff. They kind of didn't like the picture uh, that, that the Hebrew looked at. So then um, in, in chapter 48, the very next uh, story, is a story of which could be out of place because it doesn't quite fit chronologically. But let's remember that um, the Bible isn't always chronological. Right? The Gospels are not chronological. The Epistles are not chronological. The Prophets aren't chronological. Okay? Um, the 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 here we have a story of jo Joseph's uh, sick. Okay, and um, we bring in the sons Ephraim and Manasseh for a blessing, and um, Blessings are a really big deal in the Bible, as they are still in the ancient world, less so in our modern culture. Now, we understand that blessings are real. We love it when God blesses us. We find those things to be incredibly tangible, and, uh, and we like to count our blessings. But when it comes to interpersonal relationships between families, uh, often... We would rather have dad's car keys than his blessing. But in antiquity, man, you sought after your dad's blessing. And he didn't just give it freely. It wasn't. We often, we often um, bless people uh, very regularly. And therefore, sometimes we think that it can lose its significance. That in, in sort of volume, it, it seems to lose something. But the, the final blessing from a patriarch, to a to a to a family or something that was really really sought after. It was valuable. It was probably one of the more valuable things that um, um, patriarchs could give their descendants. So Jacob's going to um, bless his uh, 
grandkids, but he's also going to, to adopt them. They're going to become tribes of Israel. Right? No, none of the other kids do this. Only the children of Joseph. Okay? None of the other children, not even the children of Judah, do this. This is, this is uh, something quite unique to Joseph. And uh, his, his two children, Ephraim and Menashe, whom are half Egyptians, Okay, they're um, so two of the tribes of Israel are are have, a, have an interesting heritage, uh, and Manasseh is the older one. But we don't. The Bible doesn't call them Manasseh and Ephraim. In fact, no one talks like that. We always say Ephraim and Manasseh, but Manasseh is the older one. And, um, and this is continuing on the biblical pattern of always choosing the youngest. So in, in uh, Exodus, which is we're about to enter, we're going to get the characters of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Moses is always first, except Moses is the youngest. Aaron and Miriam are older. And yet we will always go, Moses, Aaron, Miriam. And yet so something about the youngest ones Becoming to the fore. That is actually a strong biblical pattern. It happened with Jacob. Jacob is the youngest. Esau is the oldest. Happened with Isaac. And so what, what uh, Jacob is doing isn't something precedental. It's already happened before. And so he comes to bless and he switches the order. He says, Ephraim is actually the first one. And, uh, and, and, um, he, he says uh, in verse, um, let's have a look here. Let's, let's read, let's actually read the first sort of 10, 10 verses or so. Now it come to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father's sick, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So Joseph has them in, uh, sorry, jo Joseph has them in the right order. Okay, son one, son two. And, uh, and Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself. And there's always that little switch in between the name Joseph, uh, Jacob, and Israel. And uh, sets up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And he blessed me and said to me, behold, I'm going to make you fruitful and multiply you. And I'll make you a multitude of people. And give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, he's already switched them in his mind and in his language. Who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt. They're mine. Just as Reuben and Simeon. Right? These are his first and second born. He gets his order right. Okay? Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget, after them shall be yours. They'll be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came to Padan, and he begins a little story about um, uh, his, his beloved wife, Rachel. Rachel died beside me uh, in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. So I buried her there on the way to Ephrath that is Bethlehem. And 
you have if you go come to Israel, you can always come and visit uh, Rachel's tomb, which is uh, near Bethlehem. And she has she Le Leah has a tomb too. It's in the Machpelah where Abraham and that are buried. But she doesn't seem to get as much honor as Rachel does, and uh, which I always find very interesting because, um, oh, Rachel is Joseph's mum. But Leah is the one that produces the Messiah. And yet people always forget about her. They always forget about the girl who seemed to be you know, the trick at the beginning of the marriage, um, the one that seems to be not as much loved, although she's quite fertile. She's got six six boys and a girl. Um, so it's not like the Lord didn't bless her very well. She didn't, came out good. But she also gets to have the, the lineage of the Messiah. Rachel gets Benjamin and Joseph. But she gets a tomb, and people visit her. They twice a year. They actually will, will make pilgrimage to her tomb. And um, Joseph. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, "Who are these? And these are my sons, whom God has given me in this place." Strange that he would ask, "Who are these?" Because he's just been talking about them. Okay. Um, it it may reflect his his failing eyesight. And uh, so now he's going to bless them. Now, the eyes of Israel were, were dim, so that he couldn't see. And then he crosses his hands over. So he makes um, one greater than, than the other. And uh, this is the, the blessing that he gives them. Okay, so it'll go. Well, then Israel stretched his right hand, laid it on Ephraim's head. This is verse 14. Who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. We're getting this picture of choosing the uh, the the youngest, and he blessed Joseph. Well, that's a strange thing to be saying. Weren't we blessing the kids? Well, it's like uh, it's like in Genesis when um, we we talk about Ham and and, and all the, the issues that Ham has when he has a Noah. But then we curse Canaan. Like, what happened there? Where do, where does this come from? Well. We're, we're, we're blessing the children, yes, but through through the Father. God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life uh, to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. So through the Father, he appeals to God, but also to angelic presence. So exactly his understanding of the nature of God might not always be as, as crystal clear. Uh, let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. So he's adopting them as a special blessing. And let them grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. So that's the uh, uh, general blessing. But then he goes a little bit further. Um, Joseph sees that the hands are crossed. He tries to fix it up, but Joseph says to his father, uh, uh, the father refuses 19, I know my son, I know he shall become a people and he also will be great, he's just talking about Manasseh, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations which is a very interesting blessing indeed. What does that mean? 
We're making tribes of Israel, which is a nation, but something about Ephraim means there's going to be more. And so this sets up something, which it's a mystery right now, no one's 100% sure, but you're beginning to see that in the prophets, they're taking a look at this and they're saying that something about Ephraim is going to be able to go to beyond just the tribe uh, of, of Israel. Now, there is a, a theory out there um, uh, that Christians are Ephraimites. You know, this sort of, uh, you might have heard this. Um, I don't buy into it, but um, a lot of people do. Okay. Uh, well, not a lot of people. There are, there are some. Um, and they, it, it, it kind of plays into this mystery. Like, who is this multitude of nations? And what bearing and relationship are they going to have to Israel proper? They're going to be, end up becoming enemies like Esau and Edom. Or are they going to be good cousins and um, um, and, and be a blessing, like initially Midian was? Um, we're not we're not hundred percent sure, but it does set up this, this pattern. There's something about Ephraim, and uh, uh, and so Ephraim and Judah become the two sticks, which we talked about in a previous Haftarah. Um, and uh, and so Ephraim. Which means he is going to be fruitful. That's what his name means. Um, is definitely going going to be that. Exactly who these nations are, very unclear, um, or, or, or how they're related to. But that was part of of the blessing. Not, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, may the Lord bless you with health and wealth and all that kind of stuff. It, it, they're actually the blessings are generational and um, maybe that's actually something we should be looking at you know is that the effects that we have on our kids effects that we have on our communities may they actually go beyond us actually go into into generations genesis 49 a very interesting part of the bible because it sets up a genre of literature called the testaments so jacob now he's going to gather his kids uh, together because he's about to um, die. Isn't it great? You know when you're about to die. Heroes know when they're going to die. So they get together and they prepare a last will and testament. And so here in chapter, in chapter 49, verse 1, Jacob calls his sons and says, Gather together and I'll tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Okay, This is uh, that phrase that we encountered for the very first time. The, um, the 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 last days, except that his blessings don't talk anything about the last days. Okay? They talk about something else. But what are the last days, and what do they? What does it mean? So when the, when words first appear in the Bible, their context is always going to give you some of their nuance. Okay, and and uh, it's not always, it's going to perhaps might not give you an exact definition, but it's going to mean that the, the the last days will have a nuance to them. In Genesis 49, as Jacob goes and blesses his kids, some of his blessings are positive and some of his blessings are negative. So the last days is going to be a mix. So whenever people talk about the last days from now on, it's going to have a mix. It's going to have a mix of good and a mix of bad. Okay. And uh, later on, that's going to be explored more by the prophets. 
eventually getting to Amos, who says in, uh, in Amos 5, why are you wishing for the last days? They're terrible. Right? Um, you don't want to have anything to do with them. But uh, uh, what are some of the interesting things that um, Jacob does when he, he blesses his kids? Well, I'll read a bit and then um, I'll make a few comments. There are things he says, and as you know in Hebrew, there are things that are not said. And sometimes the things that are not said are just as important as the things that are. So Jacob calls his sons, gather together, and I'll tell you what will before you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Great poetry. There where Israel and, and Jacob are together. Reuben, you're my firstborn. Starts off pretty well. My might in the beginning of my strength. Excellence of dignity, excellence of power. Pretty cool. Unstable as water, you will not ex excel. What a blessing, okay? You know, what? Turn around and tell your kids, you're an absolute failure, you know? Uh, this is my son, the dropkick, okay? Um, but, but he's really proclaiming something because Reuben ended up being quite a disappointment to dad because you've gone up to your father's bed and you defiled it, okay? This is where he attempted to... Um, uh, uh, get get a concubine. I mean, not that Jacob was probably using her at the time, but it's the whole principle of the matter. Okay, um, certainly not honouring uh, mother and father. Simeon and Levi, they're next, and instruments of cruelty. Oh man, he's, so far we haven't had any good things going on. Uh, let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honour be united to their assembly. Could you imagine the, the, what their faces must have been like? You know, they're sort of standing around going, yeah, I probably deserve that. Maybe they're a bit embarrassed. Cursed is their anger, it's fierce, and, and for their wrath, for it's cool. I, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So their, um, their predictions, are, their, their blessings are not positive. Uh, Simeon ends up eventually becoming absorbed into Judah. He literally just disappears off the map. Okay? His little tribal area is essentially a um, Beersheba. He's like the only big town he gets. Um, it's quite small. And, and uh, Levi is scattered throughout all the territories. He ends up having becoming, although he does have a, a very, very high-profile job, the priesthood, um, but uh, he is spread throughout um, the land, although that that's part of his job, you know, he has to be the judges. They've got to be part of the judiciary. They're also the healers, uh, as well as the spiritual guides. So they're quite important, and they're very well spread amongst um, their their tribe. Although the initial scattering isn't positive. But when we get to Judah, he says something interesting. Judah, uh, you are. Uh, whom your brothers shall praise. So this is a um, a play on his name, Yehuda, from the verb um, to, to, to praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. You'll be quite powerful. Your father's children shall bow down to you. Okay, so there's, there is a, a sense of honor. We're lifting up Judah now. Uh, your lion's whelp, the sort of idea where, where each of the tribes gets a sigil. So it's very easy to pick out who, who's, um, who, what sigil uh, Judah is. It's the lion, the lion of Judah. Uh, from the prey, my son, you've gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, you rouse him. 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Now, that's really cryptic. No one knows what that means. Okay. Um, first of all, Shiloh isn't a, a, a Hebrew word. It's a biblical Hebrew word, but no one knows what it really actually means. Um, is it a place? Is it a name? Is it a person? Um, it has become, in, both in Jewish exegesis and in Christian exegesis, a name for the Messiah. Um, and so you actually will find uh, uh, some rabbinical commentaries where they list all the names of the Messiah. Because there's the, the Shiloh's not one, uh, not the only one. Shiloh's one, Yinon's another one, Menachem's another. Um, then, of course, all the ones you get in, in Isaiah, Emmanuel, Sashalom. The, the Messiah has quite, quite a few names. Um, this is our first one. And Shiloh uh, ends up becoming the place in Ephraim, okay, uh, the biblical territory of Ephraim, where they erect the tabernacle that lives for 369 years. So Shiloh takes on a, a real, real um, um, significance as a center for where God lives, a center for spiritual unity of the, of the tribes, and also something prophetic. There's something coming. And his name, its name, a name, is Shiloh. And to him will be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine. That's an interesting thing. His donkey's colt. So you're already also setting up animals that are attached to this, this coming thing. And they're the cults of donkeys. Very much plays out again in the prophets and, and definitely plays out in in the triumphal entry of Jesus, the Messiah. Zebulon shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adorn Sidon. Well, that never happened. Um, Zebulon's territory is landlocked. His sigil's a boat. And it's very interesting that this, that this happens. Zebulon shall dwell by the haven of the sea, landlocked. And uh, he'll become a haven for ships. There's no access to water. Issachar is the tribe that's next to him, who has access to the Galilee. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between two burdens. He saw, he saw the rest was good, the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Now, this is actually read by... Jewish exegetes, that Zebulon and Issachar work together. That Issachar uh, becomes a, um, a bunch of scholars and they become um, all the, 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 the Bible students. And Zebulon engages in business. And the two work together. So Zebulon's paying for... Um, all the, the all the students to keep studying, and you know the missionaries to keep missionizing, and the, they're giving the seed to the sower, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This sort of idea that um, in 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 the the uh, Jewish Hebraic mind, you need to do two things: you need to work and you need to study, and they have to work together in tandem. So they and so how does Zebulon get to the sea? He does it with the help of uh, of his neighboring tribe. He might physically, personally not do it, but he will by Issachar sending out 
um, uh, um, apostles and missionaries and, and the word of God. Okay. Uh, Dan judges, it's a play on his name, which is very interesting because um, as a tribe, he ends up not doing so well. Okay? He ends up uh, uh, descending into idolatry rather quickly. Uh, Dan would be a serpent, by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel. So he's, he's, there's a dark side to him. Uh, Gad uh, is the 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 soldier. He will actually supply a lot of uh, the, his blessing is that he'll supply um, troops to the army. Uh, and Asher uh, will be rich. Now, Asher is the the territory very close to the Lebanon. It's a very rich, fertile area. Um, uh, I forgot to mention that um, in in Judah's blessing, it talks about vineyards and grapes. This this idea idea that uh, uh, Judah is going to also have access to to vineyards, which is actually true to this day. Okay, um, you can actually from from where I'm sitting right now here in uh, the southern part of Jerusalem, in 20 minutes you'll be in the the territory of Judah, and it's full of vineyards to this day, and um, it's it's. 900 uh, meters above sea level. What's so special about that? I hear you ask. That's actually a microclimate. Um, it's the the same sort of quality that you find in France. So um, you end up some some very uh, award winning wines are produced uh, not too far. However, happens to be in the West Bank, which means most of the wines actually can't go to competition. The only time they can do so is when they are in. Um, uh, uh, blind tastings where you put the bottle in a paper bag so no one can see the label and know where it's from and the judges can only taste where they can't see anything so they have to grade things by taste and um, there's a vineyard not too far away called uh, uh, Gouchetzion and they sent a Cabernet Franc blind tasting to Paris and in uh, 2021 it won a gold medal it won um, but then of course when they pulled it out they went oh you know bloody settlers um, but by that stage, it's too late, and uh, so so some top quality uh, stuff is coming there. It's exactly as well, not exactly. It's it's part of the prophetic blessing that is these, that is coming on uh, by Jacob. That's appearing takes thousands of years, okay? Because during the Islamic period, they weren't growing grapes there, but uh, they 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 are now. Um, Joseph, verse twenty-two. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough, bough by a well. His branches run over the walls. Very generous, okay? He's he's because he's obviously saving the world at this stage, okay? um, with his, by 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 shrewd um, uh, management of the resources of Egypt. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him, but his bow remained in strength. Now, uh, it's very interesting. What does he mean by talking about these, these archers uh, and, and, and being shot at? Is he making a re reference to his brothers selling him to Egypt? Because there is no hint in the text that Jacob knows what his brothers have done. 
right? Jacob thought that his son had been killed by an animal. Now he turns out to be the prince of Egypt. But nowhere does it say, hey, guess what you what the kids did? You know, um, Jacob, Joseph, doesn't seem to have told dad. Now, isn't that interesting? Right? You know, you, we, we, could we do the same? Okay, this is actually the strength of, of, of Joseph's character, is he doesn't want to hurt his father. There's no need to put his father through this. So it, it, there is a sense where, on one hand, Maybe there is something veiled here that uh, Jacob knows, but um, it's not. It's not direct, and it's not. Uh, uh, he mentioned he doesn't. He doesn't say anything to the brothers, uh, the blessings of the sons about what they've done. So it might be that uh, for seventeen years they didn't say anything. It's possible. Um, uh, but we'll see. Benjamin's a wolf, and that's his sigil to this to this day, uh, as well. But this idea of on your deathbed giving a last will and testament comes to the fore in the Second Temple period. Second Temple period being after the re return from the exile of Babylon, approximately uh, five hundred years before Jesus. They rebuild the temple. They re-examine the scriptures. They start reading them with a fine-tooth comb. They start making commentary about them. Um, they start putting very much into practice the commands of God. Idolatry is gone away with. Other issues uh, uh, appear, mainly greed, but idolatry is is done. And, and um, but a, a, a lot of books are written, and a genre that appears is called testamental literature. So each a major character of the Bible has his own book, and it's usually his deathbed blessings or stories. So some of us we study the Testament of Abraham, and uh, and that's part of that genre where Abraham was told you're about to die. Please uh, get your affairs in order. He refuses because he's a good hero, and uh, you get this really. Very interesting, uh, colorful stories of how he went on this, you know, fantastic journey into heaven and saw the future and, and all kinds of things uh, until finally uh, the angel of death tricks him into surrendering uh, his soul. Um, each character has their own book like that. So you end up with the testament of Jacob, testament of Isaac. Um, each of the tribes has a testament, testament of Naphtali, Issachar. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a genre that's um, quite vibrant in um, the Second Temple period, and the, the who preserves these texts, who still uses them, the Orthodox. So, the Coptic Christians have the Testament of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have three books in their Bible that nobody else has. The Armenians have the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, so they got all twelve, right? Um, uh, books in their, their, their Bible. Uh, some some of the other Slavonic uh, orthodoxes have different versions or, or, or recensions uh, of those of those texts, and they all have the same idea: the patriarch knows they're dying. Heroes of God know when their hour is coming. Often, why why would they know? It's their birthday. Right? This sort of tradition, you die on your birthday. So Jacob 
died when he was 147. Not 147 and a half, not 147. And if he had only held on for three more weeks, he would have made it to 148. It's the... The, the, so that so the heroes know when they're coming to die, and so they get their affairs in order, and and their affairs in order aren't let's you know pay off the debts, sell the farm, you know that what it is is gather the kids. It's time to bless, time to give my final final blessing, which has power and a prophetic power of some description, uh, and uh, so that's quite. Um, the, it, that's the the genre that's set up from from this from this portion, which leads us into our um, other deathbed testimony, which is the Haftarah portion, which is in First Kings two. It's David's deathbed. So David is about to die, and so what he does is uh, he brings in Solomon. So he doesn't get all the other kids together. He just gets one. And because um, he hasn't done so well with some of his other kids. So four of them are now dead. Okay, um, And uh, which is why does four of his kids die? I hear you ask. Um, uh, it's because when David murdered Uriah, okay, in according to the Torah, um, when you take something from somebody, you have to pay back four times. You also see it in the New Testament. You know, I'll pay back four times what I owe. And so he took someone's son, so he loses four of his. Uh, then, so, so David, <clears throat> 1 Kings 2, the time draws near for David to die. So he gives charge to Solomon, his son. So his testament, his last words, his blessings, so to speak, um, are this. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. Be strong. Act like a man. Now, that's a very interesting thing to say. How old is Solomon? Anyone know? He's 12, right? So this is 12, 12 years old. And there's dad, you know, on, on the deathbed. <clears throat> By the way, don't forget there's a young blonde uh, called Abigail keeping him warm. Okay, or uh, uh, Avishag, or something like that. Avishag, that's her name. Um, and uh, we don't mention her at the moment, but um, you know, be strong, be, be a man. You know, you're going to have to, because, you know, you're only 12, but time to be brave. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and his regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. One of your descendants, uh, watch how they live and how they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and their soul. You will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So the, 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 the language he uses is very reminiscent of the language you find in Deuteronomy. Okay? If you walk and if you keep my decrees and my commands, uh, the laws and regulations as written, if you walk in my ways, this is what you'll be blessed. Uh, and also the, the phrases of um, if you be faithful with your heart and your soul, right? The, 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 the power base of your thinking isn't your mind in Jewish tradition. It's your heart. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Walk with all your heart. Uh, but here is also the link to Saul. It's the sort of idea that um, there's something spiritual about you. You're not just a physical being. You're also the spiritual being. The soul is something that um, you have as a gift from God and has to go back to the Lord. David is about to surrender his soul back to, to God. And by the way, God also has a soul. And it says so in Jeremiah where God says, I will do this with all my heart and with all my soul. Now, why would God have a soul? Remember, you're made in the image of God. Right? So if you have a soul, pretty good chance he does too. And um, whatever emotion you've got, he has as well. We're made in his image. That might scare people, but it shouldn't. So David <clears throat> asks Solomon to do all the stuff that he didn't do. Right, that's a you know, walk in your ways and uh, try not to kill all your friends and uh, steal their wives, which was your mother, by the way. Um, the the he he's he's charging his son to be obedient, um, except that as is so often done in human nature, parental advice is usually ignored. Um, no change. After how long has the world been running? In six, seven thousand years of recorded history. It seems across the board, you know, parental advice is usually ignored uh, by the kids. Yet wisdom is listening to the, the to the to the to our forebears, and uh, the wisdom that they bring, uh, uh, and and trying to to use that to shape our. Um, uh, how we walk and, and, and practice. So here you have um, a parent trying his best. Now, he hasn't been perfect. Solomon, probably at 12, may not know all the stories of how he came into uh, the world, how his uh, mother um, uh, had a previous husband he don't, we don't not sure how much he, he's aware of but what we are aware of is that um, he has been studying Bible because after this he's going to go and ask for something very specific from God when he goes to uh, worship the Lord he's going to get a dream and God's going to ask him what do you want and he's going to ask I need uh, a heart that hears well, we often we call him a, a discerning spirit or whatever, but the literal literal text is lev shomayani, the heart that hears from God. Because if you if if you if you actually are hearing from the Lord, very good chance you probably put it into practice. Unfortunately, um, in the end, Solomon chooses to ignore what he hears uh, as well. But there's a strong um, connection between obedience that is linked to the physical side of the house of David sitting on the throne of Israel. They manage to do this for about four centuries, but then they get and then they stop. And so after those four centuries, um, the, the, the house of David takes on a more spiritual and messianic quality. Uh, then David says some interesting things. Now you yourself know what Yoav, the son of Zeruah, did to me. 
and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies. So um, Joab assassinated several characters, uh, uh, Avner and Amasa. Uh, he killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime. Um, now, Joab was um, David's uh, Ramath Kal. He was his uh, commander of his armies. He's the guy that captured Jerusalem, you know, snuck up through the little, little drain pipe. Um, he actually ends up fighting many of David's wars. Um, he he helps, def he defends David on several occasions. Uh, he, the, the Bible reads him as to be, as to be quite um, a positive guy. Um, uh, he ends, the, the rabbis love him, by the way. They make him an absolute genius Torah student, by the way, as well. He's always studying the Bible. Um, they like to do that, okay, in, in, in the rabbinical world. They'll take a character and they'll, they'll go, wow, look at this guy. He's a hero. Must be a Torah, Torah student. And again, must, must, must be a, a, a student of the Bible. And um, why, what, are, what is one of the good things that he, he does, according to the Bible, is he tries to convince David not to take a census. Right? He knows that the, that the Bible says, don't do that. Okay? But David wants to take a census. Unfortunately, um, uh, Joab's pleas uh, fail, and, and David gets into all kinds of a mess. You get a play, you get all kinds of things uh, going on. But uh, Avner had done uh, something inappropriate, and, um, and so um, Joab kills him, which is actually... According to the Middle East, uh, what what he would have supposed to have done, supposed to have avenged a family death, but um, here here he did it. It's, it's classified as a as a betrayal. Uh, Joab does actually betray David in the effect that not not David per se, but he does support one of David's sons, not Solomon. I mean, he supports some Absalom, and so. Uh, David doesn't have the heart to get rid of him himself. So he makes his 12-year-old son do it. Okay. So, you know, go be a man, knock the following people off. Cement your rule. Oh, and kill most of your brothers as well. Yeah, you make sure that they're all taken out of the, the picture. So Avner's taken out, Amasa's taken out. Uh, deal with them according to your wisdom, but do not let his grey head go down to the grave in peace. Take care of him, and which is exactly what Solomon will do. Part of his cementing his reign, as occurs across the, the, the world, so you get rid of your opponents, not peacefully. Um, but there's things you do have to do that are good. Show kindness to the following people, okay? The sons of Barzillai, of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table, because they stood for me when I fled from your, your brother Absalom. So um, reward, consequences to actions is one of the things we're learning here, which can follow generations. It might not be immediate. It might happen in the next generation. And remember uh, Shimi, uh, son of Gera, the Benjamite. Okay, this is when David was fleeing. Um, this guy came out and started cursing him. David did nothing. In fact, Joab wanted to go and get him then, but, um, but David said no. But it's time to get him, right? Because uh, he called down bitter curses on me on the day that I went to uh, Manachim, and uh, so, and he came to meet me at the Jordan. So I swore to the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. Um, I won't. I'll be true to my vow. 
Solomon, you didn't make that vow, did you, son? So, you know, take take care of this chap for me. And uh, and also, so David's advice, nothing like Jacob's. Right? Jacob in, 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 in um, Genesis 49, no other hero of the Bible has such a long, detailed um, talk on, on his deathbed. Everybody else is, is quite short. David's handover is 12, 12 verses. And um, the initial four verses, they're quite good. Obey God. Follow the law. You have to write your own copy anyway. Get used to it. And uh, if you got it, if you do your job, it'll, it'll go well with you. Um, then he gives him the practical thing. You need to cement your... Your, your rule and reign, so take care of these guys because you can't trust them. Uh, and make sure you bless the following people. And, uh, and he does. So then David rests with his ancestors, and uh, he was buried in the city of David, which um, uh, we actually found the tomb, by the way. It's, um, there's, 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 there's a tomb of David which you can come and visit if you would like to when you come to Israel. However, it's not the tomb of David. Um, there's a tomb in what they call the tomb of David, um, but it's actually a 12th century crusader knight. Um, it's, 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 a, it's not David at all. So I always find it quite ironic in the Middle East where you find these Orthodox Jewish people guarding um, a crusader knight's grave. Thank you very much for doing such a great job. The real tomb of David is rather, it doesn't have a sign. It's um, nondescript. It was known at the time of Acts. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, stood up and said, we know where David's tomb is. Okay? We know exactly where it is, not far from here, which is actually true. Um, uh, by, according to where Peter would send him, but about 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> You actually can walk past David's tomb um, and not know it because it's uh, uh, it's not signed, and um, no one has the heart to tell the uh, no archaeologist has the heart to tell the Orthodox uh, that this is actually the tomb of David because if they did, then um, the Orthodox would have to give back um, the tomb of David to to the Catholics, and heaven forbid we ever give the Catholics anything. So. Um, uh, which is a bit of a shame, but uh, so David David is is buried with his fathers. He reigns forty years, okay, seven in Hebron and thirty three in in Jerusalem, and then the text says that Solomon sits on his, on his father on his, on David's throne, and his rule was firmly established. Solomon is not the oldest. Um, um, Child, in fact, he's not even the firstborn of his mother. Okay, so uh, his mother is wife number eighteen of King David. So um, there are seventeen other wives that have children, all before Solomon. Again, the pattern: youngest, not the oldest. His mother, her firstborn, died. Right, um, uh, did not survive. So it appears that uh, that 
that Nathan may be the second second born. Oh, sorry, Solomon might be the second born of of uh, Bathsheba. So he's he's young. He's only twelve when he takes uh, takes the throne and um, ends up then taking care of the people that need to be taken care of, and then asking very poignantly for a heart that he is which unfortunately he doesn't seem to, to do. He is commanded to walk according to the Torah, but he doesn't, which can lead into all kinds of interesting questions like, well, why bother telling, asking people to, to obey the Torah? You can't anyway. So, you know, what's the, what's the point? Um, sometimes Christians will, will make that argument. You can't follow the Torah, so you need Jesus. Um, yeah, true. But... Uh, that doesn't mean that you still shouldn't teach people to obey God's laws. And so, in, in, in out of of all the blessings that David says uh, to his son, apart secure your reign, take care of these people, the most important thing is the one that is ignored. Right? Is um, follow God, walk in His ways, write your Bible, pay attention to uh, to what. To what to what God says, and everything else comes uh, comes comes together. All right, so let's unmute ourselves and have a discussion on testaments, on blessings, on passing spiritual uh, um, positives and negatives onto onto our kids. <laughs>